0: Welcome women here we talk about sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood the call to women's work and so much more. I'm Bethany Wilde an author mother and mentor for women's wellness practitioners who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic womb and pelvic care and I'm so glad that you're here. Hello, everyone. So today, I have another beautiful birth story coming for you. And I actually opened up my social media a while ago and asked women who had personal healing stories, stories of freeing themselves. And I invited them to connect with me if they had a story that they wanted to share. So that's why there are so many Beautiful birth stories that are coming in on this podcast right now in this season, and I'm loving it. Um, so this is one of the last women that reach out to me. Um, there's one more that'll probably be coming out next week. Another beautiful series of birth stories, but Corey shares her the stories of the births of her children, which are so beautiful, as well as her shift from a vegan diet to a more ancestral, uh, meat-based diet, which actually helped heal, uh, her family's health, which you'll hear about, which is, uh, really interesting. And I love this conversation because I feel like so many women are also making this shift. So many mothers and, uh, just understanding that we're really tuning into, this piece of long-term, lifetime, generational health through our diet. And so many of us are seeing the impact of these nutritionally depleted diets. And it's showing up in our children. It's showing up in our own long-term health. And I see this wave of women who are making an impact and coming back to their ancestral knowing uh, their human knowing of diet and of what we need to be eating during the childbearing continuum. So this is just another uh, beautiful story to add to that. Um, that is just so affirming. So um, that is the episode today. I don't really have any other life updates. Um, People who follow me might notice that I've been a little quiet on there. I've been really just reflecting and kind of recalibrating with my work, and really feeling into this winter season and uh, sitting with all the changes that come that have come about since I have become a mother. I, for so long, my work has been focused on womb healing and pelvic healing and um, woman care, uh, sovereign woman care, and I've been really just sitting lately with the fact that my womb, my body, my, my spirit feels so clear and so healthy, and I feel my work shifting a lot because when I first got into this work, there was so much there living in my body. Um, And now I feel like just because of my own personal work and um, having a beautiful birth and becoming a mother and stepping into my power, that so much of that trauma that was living there has just been re-imprinted and just cleared. And so I feel less of a pull to focus on that anymore. And I feel things kind of shifting and broadening and I don't know where it's headed exactly yet but I love um, I'm really dedicated to this podcast and all of the things that I set out to cover in this and maybe it'll come about and kind of show up next season um, and later on in this podcast these topics of you know, sovereign, instinctual womanhood, motherhood, um, just this larger piece instead of the super niching out that I've been doing for so long. So I just wanted to speak to that. If anyone follows me and they notice that this is really my only project going on right now, um, it's because I'm looking to broaden my work and give myself some time for reflection. And I know Oh just the the astrology of what's going on right now and the collective energies right now, so many other women are restructuring their lives and their work and reflecting and and um reweaving everything that they well really just coming into kind of a new self. not everyone knows exactly where they're heading, so That's where I've been now, and I'm just following each step with what interests me in this moment. So I love these birth stories. I love this idea and this truth that our birth stories, um, our powerful birth stories, can so often initiate us into our power, into our rooted womanhood. And just kind of, you know, like what happened with me, just so instantly re-imprinted a lot of the trauma that was living in my body, and now I just don't feel it anymore. Um, So I want to talk more about those things and what I've noticed and what I've seen in my own life um, because I feel so passionately about preserving instinctual, undisturbed birth. So uh, today you're going to hear some beautiful stories of coming on this podcast uh, this season. You will hear probably more birth stories, more solo episodes of me talking about deep healing and sovereign motherhood Um sovereign healing in general. So I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but I'm excited to tune in and see what comes up. All right. So that is just a little update on my life and my inner world. And I know a lot of you can relate and are in a pretty similar place right now with your life and your work. So let's just, uh, move into Corey's free births and her healing stories um her healing story of birth of uh, food lineage and so much more
1: so motherhood started for me Um, well, I'd like to give a backstory how I was impacted growing up. Um, so my mother, when I was 13 years old, was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is cancer of the bone. And we had gone on a family hiking trip to Mammoth lakes, California. And, um, after we went on several hikes, Um, my mom had started complaining about like pain in her leg. And when we got back home, um, the pain continued and she saw doctors and eventually was diagnosed with the cancer. Um, and when I was 15 years old, so she, she had a year and a half worth of treatments, all allopathic Western medicine, um, typical, you know, chemotherapy, Uh, I don't think she had any radiation, but, um, yeah, she did not, she had a huge surgery, which she had about like from mid thigh to mid calf of her bone, like her entire leg removed and, um, had a prosthetic device put into her leg. And, um, anyway, the cancer ended up coming back I do recall in that time when, when her and my dad had talked to us a little bit about, you know, treatment about how they were going to move forward with her diagnosis. She had mentioned um, just briefly one time. I remember this about a holistic um, treatment center. I don't know if it was specifically for cancer, but um, in the Bay area and opted not to do that. Um, I, my childhood growing up was very, not that we were like on, on medications a lot or things like that, but it was very Western medicine. I mean, we went to the doctor, did all the things and, um, I just wasn't aware of any other type of alternative other than that one time, my mom mentioning that to me during her, um, Cancer diagnosis. So anyway, she lived um, once the diagnosis. She lived for a year and a half. So when she was when I was fifteen, is when she passed away. Um, The cancer came back like super aggressive after the surgery, and um, yeah. So I kind of went through those like you know really developmental teen years having a sick mom or didn't have my mother at all after that. And, um,
2: I'm so sorry. yeah, that
1: was, yeah. Thank you. So I didn't, when you say like kind of reference point to relationship with motherhood, I mean, I going into adulthood, I'd kind of have, I think going through that trauma, of losing a parent like that, um, kind of blocked a lot out, you know, a lot of memories um, but my mom was like my primary parent. I mean, she was the person, the go-to person. I wasn't that close with my dad. Um, but I, yeah, I, I really always felt kind of different as a child, um, in my family structure because I felt like I needed a lot of like physical affection, you know, like hug me, kiss me, hold me. And that wasn't the dynamic in my family. So anyway, fast forward to me, um, getting pregnant. I, it was not a conscious conception. I had been married for three and a half years or so. And my husband and I talked about, I think two months before, two or three months before I got pregnant said, okay, um, if we want to have kids which we had never had this conversation before <laughs> we want to have kids um, we should probably think about it maybe next year because I'm going to be 30 and that seems like a good time like things are kind of going well in our jobs and we had a little bit of stability at that point point. and then boom I was like pregnant and had no idea I had um, suffered with some vertigo and, um, migraines throughout my teen years. And some of that resurfaced in my mid twenties. And so I had felt really strange. And, um, anyway, I ended up going to the doctor and I had had like about a vertigo, like not not too far before I found out I was pregnant. And anyway, so I just like wanted to go in, talk to her about like, okay, this, these weird feelings are coming up again. And she's like, is there any chance that you could be pregnant? I was like, no way. <laughs> anyway, I ended up getting a, they wanted to run a blood panel on me. So ran a blood panel. I was at work, got a voicemail about the results. And they left a message saying, it appears you're about six weeks pregnant. So that's how I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And um, it was like a huge catalyst for me. I completely, I guess, woke up to everything that I was doing and I stopped using you know, started using clean products and stuff like that, you know, on myself in the house. And, um, I've, you know, I didn't know anything and I didn't know anybody who had kids. Like I was the first of my friend group to have a baby. And so, um, I didn't have any sort of like reference point about, okay, what do you do when you're pregnant? you go to the doctor, right? Like I felt like that's what I had to do. So I went in and I had an OB appointment. Um, I was, let's see, 11 weeks. And um, it was a friend of mine had mentioned this doctor and her child was much older, um, maybe like 10 years old. And she said, oh, I had this OB. So I went there. And, um, I had a vaginal ultrasound and after that, I was like, I cannot come back here again. Like I am not having my baby in a hospital. I'm not doing any of this. And so I went back for the next appointment and they were supposed to do the test where they take I think it's that they take amniotic fluid and test for any like genetic abnormalities. Um, and I said, I didn't want to do that. And the visit was really super short. You know, it was like went in and was pretty much out. Cause I didn't want to do that test. And I went ahead and made another appointment My husband's like,
2: why are you doing that?
1: And I'm like, it's fine. I'll just cancel it when I get home. <laughs> So I made the appointment, canceled it. And then I happened to have a coworker who mentioned that she had had a midwife. Um, Her, she ended up having a transfer and had a C-section. But anyway, she, she mentioned the midwife's name. I'm like, okay, great. I'll go see her. We went to her office and my husband and I walked out of there feeling like, okay, this is it. We feel so relieved about the whole thing and um yeah so I just continued my prenatal care with her um about the month before the birth I decided um and also the midwife had had suggested that we we have a doula present or somebody else there um so she, and she had been, she's been working in this area for I think almost 40 years. So she's the wow. midwife who's been, yeah. A yep. Yeah. And she's been assisting for that long. So long time. Um, so that was another reason why I felt more comfortable with her. Um, also I had kind of understood too, that she was a little bit more Willing to, I don't want to say push the limits, you know, because some med- midwives are very medical and they'll transfer you much more quickly um, for various reasons. So um and anyway, we hired a doula and the day, let's see, the day I started that that I went into labor, I would say my pregnancy was very easy. Um I pretty much other than having, you know, some contractions and some ligament pain, like around the six month mark, it was pretty easeful, you know, other than normal discomfort. Um, I worked all the way through. I was a retail manager, and um, I worked all the way through, like the day I went into labor, i I was at work that day. So, I, I
3: do want to ask, how was it emotionally? I know it had been around 15 years since you had lost your mother, but mm-hmm. did that come up for you in the pregnancy? Just feeling like that was just a missing piece, like not having your mother with you, or how did
1: that weave into it, if if at all? yeah, um, n- I know it sounds strange, but no. I mean, no. I... I think it's just that it had been, I had, I was raised so independently and was able to take care of myself like very early on. So I didn't feel, I didn't know that I needed that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it didn't, it
3: didn't trigger any of that for you. Like, mm-hmm. Or okay. Well, that's good.
1: No. So, um, yeah, during so I went to work the day I went to lo- into labor. I had plans to eat dinner at a friend's house, so I just went over to the friend's house and I said, "I'm just really uncomfortable. Um, can we just go for a walk around your neighborhood?" So that's what we did, and I had a few contractions, and I thought, "Oh, whatever, it's probably just some, you know, normal." <laughs> Normal birth pain in pregnancy or normal feelings in pregnancy. So, I got home, and this was five days bef- six days before my due date. Quotations. Um, I got home. You know, t- told my husband I'm I'm feeling a little weird. You know, and um, I can't remember if we went on a walk or not. But I I remember. This was a couple of hours after after I'd been at my friend's house. I laid down on the sofa and my water broke. So, and that was 8:30 at night. And then <clears throat> I let the doula know first. And then she said I should let the midwife know. So I let her know. And the doula came over at around like 3am the contractions were really mild and um, but it was enough they were so close together that it was enough to keep me awake so I couldn't really rest and also first baby I just didn't have any you know (laughs) reference point of you really should try to just sleep try to lay down don't think about it too much you know Um, So I just sat in the rocking chair, like all that night awake, having contractions, just kind of hanging out there. And um, she showed up at three, the midwife showed up soon after she had just come from a birth and she went in our spare room and slept for six hours. And then um, the funny part was that morning, I think it was like 11 a.m., like okay, nothing's really happening. So the midwest, like, "I'm gonna go home, shower, eat, and then I'll I'll be back. Like just call me when when things start revving up." And the second she left, I was in like full on active labor, <laughs> and I think it was just this unconscious um, feeling of like the authority figure is now gone. So I don't have to prove anything to anybody. (laughs) Anyway, so she left um, and my labor was dark. That's all I can say. I just say I went down a tunnel of darkness and it's because I did not do like the spiritual work and really take care of myself during the pregnancy, I worked full-time during the entire thing and I had fully put, like gave my power away, you know, which I take full responsibility for. Um, It was almost as if like reflecting on it, I, it was almost like I just, it was their responsibility. Like they were going to birth this baby for me. And obviously that's not really how it goes down. So I, um, the other difficult thing was that the baby never like my, the baby never dropped. So I never had the feeling of like the baby's down there, like ready to come out. It, I had a really, really high belly the whole pregnancy, like a basketball. And that continued like into the labor. It was like that. Um, so, I felt really comfortable with the doula. Um, she was new in the area, and I think the midwife being very experienced and um, this was kind of her her thing. You know, she didn't know this person. Um, later on, the midwife, the doula, kind of told me that she she wanted to do things to kind of help me out, like get me moving more, and she felt like she couldn't do that. And she was very hands off. I mean, she was, you know, she was just away in the corner. And that, I felt like that's not what I needed. I needed somebody who was going to, because I just literally was completely out of my mind, I needed somebody to step in, move me around, like, you know, and the thank, so thank God that the doula was there because if she wasn't there, I mean, I I think it would have been a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like she gave me some confidence. And there was a point where the midwife said, um, "Okay, Corey, if you know you can't get this baby out in the next hour," and I think that was at like the twenty-three hour mark you know, like I, between from when my water had broken to that point and, and I'm in a state where there's no regulation. So Mm -hmm. I'm in Nevada. There's no regulation for midwives. Um, so it's not like they have to abide by, okay, we have to transfer you if your water's been broken for 24 hours, but I think it's just the exhaustion that I felt. She, she probably felt like, hey, we can't go on this much longer. Like you're not going to be able to do it kind of a thing. So she said, um, you know, we'll have to try and get help. We'll have to probably get some help. And in my mind, I thought, how in the heck am I going to walk downstairs and be in a car like this? And I just started crying. <laughs> There's no way I can't do that. And um, that was the turning point. And then at some point, at this turning point, the midwife and doula kind of agreed to get me up and standing. So they got me up and we did an assisted squat. So my husband was behind me and, you know, I just pushed with all my might. And then eventually, so he had dropped down, um, my, husband no sorry the midwife then said okay lay down on your back so then I laid down and then contractions really subsided and you know there were a few more pushes and then um he was out all in all at once like a rocket and he was big he was almost nine and a half pounds And so, yeah, it was hard. I tore a lot. Um, I think I had like 13 stitches and, um, yeah, but overall I had to push for five and a half hours. Um, I did try, sorry, backtracking. I, I was in the birth pool for a little bit, um, towards the beginning and that really wasn't doing anything. And I felt like that wasted a lot of time and energy trying to push in the pool. Um, But yeah, so he, he was out and I was pretty bewildered and, um, you know, shaky and, but just relieved, you know, I couldn't believe it, that it was, the labor was over because it was just so incredibly difficult. And, um, yeah, I had a pretty, we didn't have a lot of support, but had an easeful postpartum. I feel like. You know, first baby, my husband was homes for a while, so he was able to help take care of us and um it was just a long recovery, I think, with the stitches at one point i I actually cut some of them out myself, but it was just, yeah, lots of pain dealing with that,
2: mm-hmm. so
1: um, yeah, that was my first birth, and right after that. <laughs> even though it was so, so hard for me, I said to him, I'm like, if we do this again, I don't want anybody there because I had reflected on the fact that I, you know, the midwife, I felt like having somebody there who's not really part of your, your really close circle. Um, you know, she's not part of my family or my like friend group, And I just, I reflected on the outsourcing and how that just, I didn't feel right for me if we were to do it again.
2: Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah, so I, um, let's see, we, let's see, my son was about almost three years old and we decided to, uh, that we wanted to have another baby. And, um, I got pregnant right away. So like first try and, um, my son that, um, that was his first, uh, fall in childcare. So anyway, he ended up getting hand, foot and mouth disease, like super mild. Like you wouldn't even notice that he had it. He had one sore on the inside of his mouth, one on his hand. and. I contracted the hand, foot and mouth a few days after he got it or he had it and he was pretty much healed up by then. Um, And I had a really acute reaction, super painful in my mouth. So I had like sores under my tongue that were like daggers. No. And at that point, yeah, I was like freshly pregnant And, um, it was a Tuesday night and I had plans to go to the doctor the next day because I had missed quite a bit of work. And I'm like, I need to get a release saying that I, you know, when I can go back to work because having my son out and myself, Mm -hmm. um, so I went in, well, sorry. Okay. So that Tuesday night, uh, the day before going, I, um, had this really just intense feeling come over me when I was laying in bed, and I said, I am gonna lose this pregnancy. I just feel it. it's gonna happen. And the next day, I started bleeding. Um, and I went into the doctor, and I really had no intention of them, um, like really wanting to address that for me. Um, I just wanted kind of a confirmation about like when I could go back to work after the hand, foot and mouth, but I didn't mention it to her. I was like, Oh, and by the way, I'm
2: pregnant and I'm
1: um, pretty sure I'm having a miscarriage. You and have so she,
3: at this time,
1: sorry. Uh, like five or six weeks. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, she writes me a, I'm going say a prescription to get an ultrasound, but I guess that's what it was. Um, like an appointment for it. So, and then also the uh, blood test to check hormone levels to see like, you know, checking, she's like, okay, we can do this too. Like you can do the blood tests like today and then in a couple of days, and we'll see if your levels change at all to see if like you're losing the baby or whatnot. So um I got, I did the blood test. I got home and I was like, I'm not doing this ultrasound. I'm like, I am like 99% sure I'm having a miscarriage. Like maybe there's a chance I'm not, but I'll just go off the blood test if that's the case. So I canceled the appointment for the ultrasound. And then I went back in on the Friday to have my blood drawn again. And they called me the following. Okay. So I passed everything the next day. Um, yeah, so I I had miscarried, and they called me on Monday, and this is what the nurse said. She she leaves a message, and she said, "It appears that you are still pregnant." Um, we check, you know, comparing the levels from one day to the next, and um, I had actually had access to my account to looking at the tests. And what happened was I guess the results from the Friday came in before the Wednesday. And so that's why she thought I was still pregnant, but I personally looked on my account and it, the HCG levels had dropped. Hmm. So I know. So I'm like, Oh uh, my gosh. (laughs) So that was like my full confirmation. Like, okay, you know, I don't need you people. (laughs) Yeah. You (laughs) have all the answers yeah yeah okay so I'm I'm curious too like
3: um you didn't want an ultrasound did you was everything it feels like everything was pretty instinctual for you just like Mm -hmm. I don't need that was did you ever do research into these things and get into all the rebirth home birth community and, and research all of that and listen to the stories or was everything just how you were feeling and what you knew within yourself?
1: So after my, the first birth and I told my husband, I didn't want anyone there. If we had a second child, um, I, I did like, I looked up online, like what, you know, an assisted birth. And I saw that there's a book out there, um, I think called the unassisted baby. I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is a thing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it didn't really go much farther than that until um, someone that I fall follow, had followed for years before on Instagram did like, she was pregnant and it was like hashtag free birth. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So there's actual people out there that do this. And then that's where I, I found out, like learned about free birth society and started listening to that podcast. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we had the full intention of like the next baby. That's what, that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: how um,
3: is, yeah. How was the healing, healing, if any, for you with that miscarriage? It, I know it was pretty early along, but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that you won't be in grief about it. So how did that feel for you?
1: You know, I really, I mean, of course I was. I mean, I was sad about the loss, but I also had a full trust in my body and source that, like, this is this is the way that it was supposed to happen. So I had fully accepted it. I mean, very early on. I think honestly, like, right when I knew it was happening, Um, you saw the wisdom. mm -hmm. Yeah, for
3: sure.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean what was going on with my body it's like it was basically saying I mean we wouldn't be able to sustain healing you and supporting like a new life at the same time. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I feel like that um that spirit of that baby showed up in my third pregnancy in a different way cuz I really I had, yeah. I mean, I, I'll I'll explain that when I, when I talk about the next one. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I ended up having like six, six months of, it was like, we were just, (laughs) my son being in childcare, we were just sick all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like every time he'd get something, I would get it. And so it was, we just took our time with trying to get pregnant again. So it wasn't until a full six months later that it happened.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so that was pregnancy number three and second baby with this one. Um, I, uh, I mean, we fully were on board calling this baby in, you know, it had been all that time from the, six months, it felt like a long time. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have even, I think, taken a pregnancy test probably if I hadn't had that loss, but I, you know, I just wanted to make sure, yes, I'm really pregnant because my cycle was really kind of messed up for those six months prior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had some short cycles, some long cycles in there. So I, um, I didn't actually like, you know, a hundred percent have a day that I could be checking for that. So I did take a pregnancy test. Um, and yeah, so I, um, pregnant with the third time, second baby. And, um, I did not have, I never saw a midwife or a doctor. I, well, I did see a chiropractor. Um, so I went to her for the last few months of the pregnancy because I had a lot of, um, uh, Oh my gosh, sorry I'm drawing a blank on. It's such a long name. The pubic, you know the name of this. the pubic uh, bone separation, pubic symphysis dysfunction. that's yeah. it. Yes. So I had that pretty bad. That's rough. I, yes, it Were was working
3: a lot in this pregnancy
1: too. I did work, but um, it was a lot more useful. Okay. and i worked up until i gave myself a full month off before the baby came that's good yeah yeah
3: yeah i feel like that's very important in a energetic way to separate from that world and go into just more of a gradual way than the the way that you were just shoved deep in the dark the first right because there was just no no Useful way
1: into your, you know, the underworld for you. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There was no window of let's just be, yeah. you know, and feel this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that there was a whole lot of that because I also was taking care of my son. So we pulled him out of daycare and the plan was that I would be home with him with the two. Um, so I stopped working, um, and just used up the leave that I had, um, until I like officially resigned. But, um, yeah, I, I had the pubic symphysis dysfunction pretty bad and, um, it, you know, <laughs> I was towards the very end of the pregnancy. It was like, I knew, I knew the baby was coming because, I was just kind of at the point where like, I can't get off the sofa, you know, the last couple of days, but he had dropped so low. I mean, this baby was way down there and nothing like the last one. So my belly was a different shape. I, you know, my pelvis was super open. It just felt completely different. I had lots of practice contractions especially in the last two weeks. I mean, it was almost like any day I thought I was maybe going into labor for two weeks. Um, and yeah, one thing that seems to be similar for me is, yeah, I had the practice, some contractions and they were no different than they were from the two weeks prior, but they, um, continued on for a few more hours than normal because it tended to be in the afternoon so I had contractions this time until about 6 p.m and then I'm like okay I think something's going on and at eight thirty, water breaks again just like the last one mm-hmm. so same exact time yeah same thing so funny how that happened um but oh, I'm going to backtrack here again. The two weeks before he was born, I had intense fear mm-hmm. and it wasn't like I had felt like anything's going to go wrong or anything like that. I think it's just that I knew that I was more or less walking alone, you know, with my husband and um, you know, the source spirits, you know, like my mom out there. And that's who I had to put all my trust into, you know, and I, I'm not sure, you know, it was just a, I hadn't felt it at all in the pregnancy thus far uh, until that point. And probably because of the fact that like, I knew it was going to come pretty soon. I went through a couple nights where I just like, It was pretty dark and that's what I felt. And I let myself feel that and it passed. And then I was great. I had no fears after that. I had no fears going into the labor. Um, Yeah. yeah.
3: So I um, got water
1: broke and I had contractions that were pretty far apart it was like 3 per hour and so i actually i had had horrible sleep those last few weeks um and i was able to that was that was one of my that was one of my concerns i would say i was afraid that if i were to go into labor on a day where i hadn't slept at all like the night before but anyway, I was able to actually during the labor sleep for three hours consecutively.
2: Nice.
1: So Great. yeah, it was good. So from three to six a.m., and then um, I talked to my friend who was going to be taking care of my eldest of my child, the one that I had. Um, he was three years and eight months old at that time, and I just really. <laughs> did not feel like I could have his energy there. <laughs> he's just, I mean, he's, a, he's, he was in a pretty intense kid, like very active. And I'm like, I just, I don't think I can have like a 20 long hour labor and have my child there. So um talked to her and my dad and so funny once again I just need my space um once my so my dad took care of him first and then my friend after that so uh, my dad came over to pick him up at about 10 a.m and the second he left the house is when I had full-on active labor it's just like yeah just like I was with the midwife right when she
3: (laughs) it's funny because I hear more stories of when Women go to the hospital or the midwife walks in, that's when they immediately feel comfortable. But for you, it's kind of the opposite. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense that this would be the best path
1: for you. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So he was gone and I labored um, from about like pretty, in, you know, the intense labor was about from 11 a.m. and then. I utilized like a yoga ball a lot during that labor. And it was all very instinctual. I felt really comfortable, really present. I didn't go down into any depths of darkness. It was like pure light. Like I described this labor as like rainbows and butterflies. I mean, really, it was beautiful. Beautiful. And, um, and I used my breath a lot. Like I knew how to control my breath. That was the huge game changer between the first and the second. And I also had more capacity in my lungs because this baby had dropped, whereas my first didn't. Um, and so I was able to, like I utilized visualization. Um, I was breathing in like cool, icy mist. Like I was thinking of the color blue breathing in this like cool mist and blowing it out on this grassy green meadow. And like, that was what I visualized and how I breathed through the labor. Um, but I was really, really conscious, really present. I never lost control. I was able to like talk to my husband in between contractions. Okay let's try this, you know, let's move around, whatever. And, um, we eventually when I was really, it was a different sensation with the first baby, I felt like the contractions were going like around the midpoint of my belly. And this one, it was a very burning hot sensation under the belly, like in the underbelly part. Um, and so, that's why using that visualization with the, the cold was helping me a lot, like stay cool because I was feeling the burn. And, um, eventually I sat, um, kind of like had half my bottom on the edge of the bed. And I felt the baby like coming down enough to where I, you know, at that point I was like, okay. You know, I think it's, gonna start happening here so my husband's like you want to do the assisted squat and and we started squatting and like my body versus me fully pushing out my baby the first time my body did all the pushing for me so yeah it was great and um yeah I that was it was such an amazing and just so peaceful in the light it was afternoon and the light shining in you know had the curtains drawn but there was still some light coming in through the window and um I decided like I my husband was like what's going on like he was thinking this is gonna draw drag on for much longer but once we got in that squat he dropped down a lot and I got on um my rocking chair has a little ottoman so I put my forearms on the ottoman and, um, and I labored there. And I think, I don't know, maybe pushed five times, and baby was out, yeah, And I'm pretty loud. I'm allowed. <laughs> I let it all go. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I said that about the first one, too. I'm like, oh, I hope I didn't wake up the neighbors or <laughs> funny yeah. you bubble around it, no one <laughs> right. <laughs> nobody ever knows yeah Uh, so yeah I just roared him out my husband caught him um I had I mean it would have. I always see these births where people catch their own babies but I guess it's just not in the cards for me (laughs) so (laughs) anyway yeah so he caught him and then he passed him up to me so he didn't know um, if it was a boy or girl. And anyway, so I'm just holding him. I have that video. I'll have to tag you in the Instagram video of him. Yeah. So he's there, um, on my chest. And anyway, I, I looked, I was like, it's a boy, the whole pregnancy. I was like, this is a girl. I had all these, um, so many feelings like that it was a girl but I really think that that was that second pregnancy like spirit carrying through sending me messages or something Mm -hmm. um because we had thought about the name Freya and I was at a we were at this restaurant and there was this um goddess deck of cards and I pulled the card and it was Freya and anyway, just things like that. That wasn't the only sign that I had. But anyway, it was a boy, and I was, yeah, So I was really surprised by that.
2: <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so the the um, postpartum period was um, pretty, yeah, just useful, and I had no tearing
3: okay
1: at all he was a little bit smaller than my first so my first baby was nine pounds six ounces and he was um eight five and had his head was like a full centimeter smaller in circumference too so I mean I think that helped a little bit
3: you didn't have forced pushing
1: that's a big one well yeah that too right yeah Yeah, for sure (laughs) um Yeah. So it was, it was just pretty easy. My mother-in-law came. um, I had, she came the two, like two days after he was born and reflecting on that after, after she left, I had told my husband, I said, okay, like we wanted to have a third already. (laughs) Like we had a third baby. I don't want anybody there after the birth. I'm like, I just felt like I needed I needed my space to really connect with my baby, and he's—I mean—he slept in my arms for the first, you know, couple months, and then we bed shared after that. But it's like he had to be right next to me all the time. Um, but I felt like I—I I didn't have enough during the day because um, my three-year-old was just so active. And my mother-in-law more or less like held the baby all the time. And then I was entertaining him. So I felt like I didn't have enough of a connection until she left. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that was my own doing, you know, I needed to protect my own space a little bit better. Um, But yeah, the healing went really well. And um,
2: yeah, it was all just pretty natural. and great. Um, yeah, so we had,
1: um, do you want me to just get right into the next
2: one? Yes, please. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm like, sorry. It's a lot of talking. So my, uh, my next pregnancy, let's see. So my son was about, he was a little more than a year and a half old and, um, I yeah I had gone to this like women's circle with a friend and it was so funny (laughs) because anyway it's not something I regularly attend I feel like the alignment isn't quite there all the way for me yeah (laughs) but anyway it was just one of those times when I'm like I feel like I need to do something I need to like get out I need to be with other women she's like oh come to my women's circle with me so I went with her And in that, um, we, uh, at, towards the end of the gathering, we wrote down like our goals and, or like, s- you know, something we want to manifest. And I was like pregnant with a third baby and it literally got home. And that's what happened. <laughs> Whoa. Wait, <did> you <laughs> then? Or you... <laughs> like that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and that it was funny because then I looked at my affirmations like the next month or something I was like well I guess I you know did what I said I wanted <laughs> I feel like yeah once
3: you open
2: the portal it's just
1: yeah
3: so useful sometimes
1: for them to come through right cool. um so yeah I uh so yeah pregnant right away and um this was, this was definitely the hardest pregnancy. I think also a lot of that relates to a lot of the healing that I can explain, you know, towards the end about like my diet. Um, but I uh, just had a lot of di- just my pelvis was literally falling apart is what it felt like. Hmm. Um, so how, how is it after that? during
3: those 18 months, like what, how did your pelvis feel after that?
1: After my second? Yeah. I felt really good. Okay. So yeah. you kind of came together
3: to a place that felt mm-hmm. stable.
1: Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it just got, yeah.
3: act- it got activated by pregnancy, but. hmm Okay.
1: And my, um, I had a bit of like abdominal separation, but I did quite a bit of work to heal that. And so I was feeling great. I mean, like the summer that I got pregnant, I was like, I think feeling my best. And I hadn't worn a bikini in forever. I don't know. (laughs) I just finally felt like confident in myself. I don't know why I never did it before, but. (laughs) (laughs) And so. Yeah. I just was, I felt really good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, I, uh, yeah, it's just the pregnancy just really, yeah. The hormones, the relaxing comes in really strong for me, I guess. So yeah. And I don't have, I don't have a curvy build. I'm very just like tall and thin. And so, you know, I have to carry the baby out <laughs> in front of me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that probably makes it a little more difficult because the baby just resting there, you know, right totally. on top of the pubic bone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So I, um, this time around, I felt, I felt like con- not concerned, but fear of judgment, maybe a little bit, like with my dad. <laughs> My dad's like kind of um not big on the population boom. We'll just say that. Oh man. <laughs> okay. He's like, you yeah. know, enough kids to replace yourself, you know, one in one. And anyway. So wow. I didn't say anything to him and his girlfriend. He he's been with her for like 10 years, more than that, I think. Oh yeah, about 10 years. Um I didn't say anything until literally, it's like you could, I couldn't hide it anymore. I was just, (laughs) I I was pregnant. It was just so obvious. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, I mean, he's, he is such a nice, like just such a happy and nice person. Like everybody loves him. Um, But I guess it was just kind of my own self conscious. Yeah, you know, hesitation Mm
2: -hmm. to say
1: anything. So I really kept the pregnancy really just like quiet for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Like my good friends knew about it and that was about it. Um, Yeah. So I think I was like four months pregnant and this pregnancy, it took me a while to actually show, um, Mm -hmm. compared to the others, like I was showing pretty early. Um, and yeah, I just suffered with the, the pubic symphysis, And, and I also, this time I felt it a lot in my back as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Low back. Um, I had plans to see the chiropractor that I had seen before. Cause she was really supportive of like me doing the free birth. And I felt concerned about going to somebody else who I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. from, previous. So um ironically, she was closed the last month of my pregnancy. And I was like, I guess I'm not gonna get any, you know, work done. Um the most important time. Right. I know. Yeah. And then she opened up about like I think it was two weeks a week before the baby was born, I got in. Okay. Um and I also wanted to go because to get a proof of pregnancy, mm-hmm. just to have that. So, um, so I went in and saw her and it got adjusted and I felt horrible afterwards. Like I had a migraine after it was not.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I didn't go back. I, w- I had scheduled to go back the next week, but, um, you know, I went into labor that day. So I didn't go back. <laughs> And um, and it was according to, you know, my tracking and everything, if I were going like full-term due date, you know, I don't like the word due date, but, um, baby wasn't coming until April. And, um, I just really felt like the baby wasn't going to come until April. I didn't have any, um, like prodromal labor and like a lot of the practice contractions, like I had had the one before. Um, I just, yeah, just started feeling like, you know, just tired and not wanting to do a whole lot. Um, and then my husband, he had, he was planning on going into work an hour earlier cause he had this training to go to. And, um, I rolled over and my water broke at seven 30 in the morning Mm -hmm. and um so I texted him and then he hadn't left yet though thankfully um yeah and he I just went downstairs and he was there and I was like oh if I you don't have to go to that training today (laughs) 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 so yeah so my water broke and um I knew nothing was gonna happen I was like nothing's going down until the kids go to bed tonight and that's how it happened oh really okay <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah so I was just yeah we went on a walk as a family and it was really sweet because the boys um it was spring and we have all these um blossoming plum trees mm. here in the city like everywhere and so they had picked some blossoms off the ground and gave those to me. And it was really sweet. Cause I, I, you know, held them in my hand. I was like, Oh, there's two here. And you know, you're going to, there's going to be a third one mm. sometime today. Um, it was just funny. Cause my eldest, he had just turned six a couple of weeks before. <clears throat> and um, yeah, right after dinner, I was feeling the contractions coming on more frequently. And I told him, I said, Yeah, you're gonna have a, we're gonna have a baby tonight. And every night I was the one that would put him to bed. And my husband would put the younger boy to bed. And um he, I don't, there was just this connection there between him and I and the belly, you know, always like he'd scratch my belly. While I was reading to him, we'd talk about the baby, you know, he'd feel the baby in there kicking. And so when I told him that, I think he was just in disbelief. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, the baby's actually like, okay, mom, you know, sure. (laughs) Did
3: he remember his, well, he didn't see his brother being born, but does he, did he remember that
1: time? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And he actually had said, um he's so funny he he was really into the whole birth thing so you know with the placenta and the cores and all he was using play-doh to make placentas and
2: cores like after his little brother was. Born. <laughs> <So cute>. yeah
1: <laughs> and um he uh, Yeah. He remembered. And during that pregnancy, he said, you know, I know why did, why wasn't I with you guys when my brother was born and I don't want to go away. And I had already felt like I don't want the kids to leave, you know, I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to work out the way it's supposed to. And they'll probably be sleeping. I don't know. (laughs) I guess (laughs) I manifested that. Um, So that's, yeah that's how it happened and I didn't I didn't have any feeling also that I even if the kids were awake that it would have been an issue you know even with my younger one he's you know his personality I felt like it would have been fine to have him there Mm -hmm. and around you know and at least they could have entertained each other a little bit so um yeah it was I didn't have any concerns about having the kids home um and I had no plans. I had no plans of anybody watching them. So it was just like, that's what we were going with, that they were going to be there. Um, so yeah, the labor started around like 5.30 that night. And um, I, yeah, this one was hard. I had back labor.
3: Oh,
0: so no.
1: I had told my husband like the week before, cause I had that low back pain. I was like, Hey, this is the the hip squeeze. Here's what you got to do. And I, so he had practiced on me a little bit and I'm like, yep, that's, that's it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm having back labor this time. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so it was, it wasn't rainbows and butterflies, <laughs> you know, but it was pretty useful Mm -hmm. Minus that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was very present. The, the thing is, is that the black labor really threw me off. I felt like I, my center was not, I couldn't focus, you know, I couldn't focus quite as much on, okay. Like my cervix and, and, um, you know, baby coming out, like, you know, focusing there when I was breathing it was just a little bit off in some way, just because of the distraction from him hip squeezing me. I'm like, okay, I've got this pain in the back, but I'm feeling the labor in the front. But so I it's almost like I was feeling it everywhere this time. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it was just like a stinging, like a stinging pain in my back every time. So what I did was it's, it's almost like everything. Fate lined up the sequence of events that my youngest son woke up at like 10, 15. Yeah. So I'd been laboring at this point for like almost five hours and he, he wakes up and I'm like, this is my chance. I have to practice this without my husband there, you know, doing the hip squeeze, um, so he left to go put him back to bed. And I, cause I didn't feel like I, like the pushing was happening. Like my body wasn't pushing, but I knew I was ready. and like, I'm ready, but I'm going to have to like do some of the pushing because this whole back labor thing's throwing me off here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when he left, I did, I, um, in that contraction, I pushed And baby was coming down and I was like, you better get back here or you're going (laughs) to, you know, the baby's coming out right now. (laughs) So he came back in and my son actually just like went back to sleep right away. So it wasn't an issue with him. I mean, baby would have come either way, but um, yeah, I told him, I said, you can't, you can't back squeeze me. I'm like, I have to just push through this. So yeah, I did a couple more pushes, head came out, and then the body. And um I was paralyzed afterwards. <laughs> so rather than my husband just passing baby up to me and me like easefully being able to just sit down, the the back labor just really like t- everything was tight and I was just paralyzed. And so he was holding the baby like behind me and then he kind of helped me swing a leg around so that he could give me the baby um and but when he caught the baby I said is it a boy (laughs) that was that was the only thing I said (laughs) and he said no and I was like okay but I just like didn't have any feeling about it really really until she was a girl yeah when she was like two weeks old is when I really felt like oh my gosh I have a girl I'm like the cycle has completed like I you know losing my mom and then now I have my baby girl I felt Mm -hmm. yeah did you name her Freya no okay
3: no yeah different
2: Uh
1: uh-huh okay yeah um yeah. So that we had so much support after this baby, like neighbors and friends and like everybody brought us food and it was amazing. Um, I had sent my husband like that day after my water broke to go grocery shopping. I'm like, we need to make sure we have lots of food. So he went grocery shopping, but people brought us so much food that we had to freeze everything.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: so it was, it was really nice. Yeah. And I just, I spent all the time, I think about like five weeks, you know, mostly just hanging out with babe Mm -hmm. in bed. Didn't really do much, you know? So it was nice. I just fully was like, I have to let go of everything. Like I need, I need this redemption, you know, postpartum. So Mm -hmm. yeah. So I had it. You You feel really complete now. Mm, totally yeah every time it's like oh someone's like oh is it another boy I'm like oh no it's a girl I'm good I'm done (laughs) yeah it was great um you know no tearing I guess I didn't mention any of the third stages but they all went exactly the same with all the babies I Mm -hmm. delivered the placentas 20 minutes after each birth like
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah like clockwork the difference with her is that her cord was I mean the boys had extremely they had like neater their cords were like three feet long mm. really long cords her cord was a little shorter but she had one of those beautiful like juicy pulsating cords when she came out so it was really cool yeah I wish I had more photos of that but um yeah so that's that's wow. it and then we um just this last, well, wrapping back up kind of where I started with my mother. Um, we had wanted to go back to Mammoth lakes last year. So like while I was pregnant, um, to, at one of the lakes there that you have to climb, you know, hike up to, it's like at the top of the mountain. Um, that's where my mom's ashes were buried. And, um, we didn't make it out last year to bury the boys placentas. Um, so cause of all the fires that were going on in California, it was just too hard to plan around that. Um, so we just this, uh, last month we went and we stayed for a few days and we did the hike up and it was just like this completion of life cycle, the five of us, um, we went up and it's, it's hard to, once you approach the lake, so, you know, you've hiked up the mountain and then you get to the lake and on the left side, there's this big crag and then, um, straight across, there's a meadow. And then to the right, there's just like granite boulders. And, um, we hiked across like (laughs) all this granite rock and there was really no there's really no um hiking path around the lake so you just kind of have to free go for it and we went to the other side to the meadow cuz i've just always like thought it's so breathtaking it's just the the sparkle of the water and it's called crystal lake so you know go figure right but it literally feels like crystals sparkling and i could just fully feel her presence there Um, and we hiked over to the meadow and we buried the kids' placentas there. So my son, he um, my oldest, he's like, mom, what are we, you know, what if I forget, you know, about how how will I know? How will I come back to to see my (laughs) placenta? So sweet. And I was like, you know what? You just can come back to this place with, you know, we'll come back as a family or you come back with your siblings and to always have a place to just, I don't know, just feel. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I'm just really moved by that. I don't know. I I can just see it.
2: And <sighs> yeah, we yeah. all deserve a place like that. Mm-hmm.
1: It just felt, you know, I'm, I, it just felt like it was all everything lined up the way it was supposed to, you know, it's like, I had to have my baby girl and bring everybody together. And yeah, it was my oldest is just, he's so, he's such a, he's so emotional. <laughs> I mean, his emotions go all over the place, but he, his sensitivity and sentiment, like just runs so deep Mm -hmm. it's like I know he's he's the one who I don't know he's he's always had this connection and maybe it's you know more because I've talked to him a lot about my mom um but he asks the questions you know Mm -hmm.
0: If you are loving this podcast and excited to listen more to these topics of sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood, the call to women's work and more, then here are a few ways that you can support this project and help me continue to put it out there. You can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps reach more women. You can also check out my book, Pelvic Awakening, on Amazon, which is all about womb healing and connection and covers so many topics. And if you love that, you can leave a rating and review there. Um, and then finally, you can also check out my learning library, which includes my Wise Woman practitioner training training. Personal healing workshops and more. All the links are in the show notes. And thank you again so much for your support.
3: Your stories are just uncomplicated and mm-hmm. free of trauma and and just beautiful. And I love that. And I wish m- I wish many more of us had a set of uncomplicated, beautiful memories forever. Mm-hmm. And even your transition into motherhood, like you didn't speak about anything that sounded like a, like a dark night of the soul. Like you're just, it just sounds like you were made for, for motherhood. And it was mostly useful for you. And so, I mean, I know we all have, mm-hmm. we, we move through.
1: But. Yeah, I, I do feel like the first birth, probably, probably like for sure, definitely had some imprinting on my eldest. Um, and that's something that we're trying to work through a little bit, you know, even though you can say it's like, it could be somebody's dream birth, you know, having a midwife assisted, you had your home birth, like, what do you have to complain about, you know, but it's like that to I think fully align my for myself I had to follow my instinct you know Mm -hmm. and um yeah I think it's had some emotional um impact on my eldest you know probably coming from me like myself feeling the dark
2: Mm
1: yeah
3: yeah it's hard to know where it starts it's like did his temperament his innate soul temperament affect the pregnancy and the birth and everything that happened or was he imprinted by the birth that's just
2: yeah probably you know, both.
3: yeah probably both mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and you i see how you just you very clearly and easily followed your instincts into each next next experience So that's
1: beautiful to see. And so much of this, you know, I attribute to what I, you know, experiencing the loss of my mother, you know, Mm -hmm. is that um, the way that she died, you know, and what she went through. It's like, you know, had she known that there were another option you know, maybe she would have chosen that. And I guess that's, um, for me, you know, birth and death, they're parallel Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and, um, well, it's a continuum. Right. But, um, I seeing the way that she suffered in that system, it's like, it was just automatic for me that when I went to those first couple OB appointments, I had no intention of staying with that system Mm -hmm. at all. I mean, that was not even a consideration. Mm -hmm. So You carry, you kind of carried on
3: something for her and
1: Mm -hmm.
3: something feels healed.
1: Right. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, you know, having baby girl come in, just kind of close the loop of all of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that she doesn't, you know her she didn't die in vain, you know it's it was such a painful, like I just can't even begin to comprehend like what she felt, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And being so that age, I even felt that pain you know it's just seeing someone in pain like that it's just not
2: that's not how anyone should have to live How old? she was 50 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah my my mother died five months ago so
3: from cancer as well and so I can can deeply relate to witnessing someone you love in pain mm -hmm. and all the things that come up after with natural lineage and just layer upon layer of things that I'm still figuring out so it it
2: moves me um hearing these pieces to your story
1: yeah mm-hmm. it's sorry to hear that mm-hmm.
2: Thank
1: you. yeah it's hard
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I guess but I mean for me there was such a huge gap between that and motherhood that I I don't yeah. know I, I I feel like more of you know had she uh, they, I'm sure my life would be totally different if she was around you know
2: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's taught me a lot of lessons
2: mm-hmm. Even I just feel like subconsciously
3: <laughs> yeah i i see this too in other women that lose their mothers too early it's like and i can't i don't think i can put all the words to it really well but um there is a deep deep internal strength that has to come up after because it's
2: mm-hmm.
3: like, I felt a deep sense of loneliness after losing her. And I think all of us who have our mother on earth, um, we've, there's like a safety that's felt in that, knowing that there's someone out there who who deeply loves us and who we can be held by. And when that goes away, it's like, we are now the head of, the line, and we don't have mm-hmm. anyone to rest into in the same way, like a child. Um, and so, yeah, it's really interesting what what has to be brought out of of us. It's like so. there, yeah. It's I just see something different now in women that have um, that have lost their mothers, and then especially so young, and then moved into becoming a mother themselves without that guidance it's there's a lot to say on it that i i don't have the experience yet to to speak on but it, there's something there yeah
1: yeah and it i mean it's it still comes up for me once in a while like i think it's when the overwhelm comes you know so now i've got three kids mm-hmm. and you know being the one who's always You're now I'm the one holding everybody, right? Holding all the emotions, all the energy and you know, making space for everybody. And it's like sometimes I get to the point where I'm like, I just need someone to hold me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Of
3: course. Mm -hmm. Of course. And I just come back to the great mother. That's that's all I could possibly, that's the only one that could, I could be held in anymore. Um, just that, that archetype or that energy or that, whatever it is to us, sometimes it helps me when I enter into a meditation on that, but the practice of it is <laughs> holding three children <laughs> and all of their energies under age seven. <laughs>
1: yeah it is Mm -hmm. I feel like yeah three is three is just yeah it's a lot I can't even only got two arms (laughs) you got two legs (laughs) and I think more of it is yeah more of it's the emotional aspect right holding holding three people emotionally is that's the hardest part it's been you know it's like a continuous recognizing and 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 trying to just manage my energy too so that I'm able to do that the best that I can. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard, but it's good, you know. It's like, well, you know, one day it's so it's really sweet. I've had um several times that I've been out, I've had like one time, this this older man was like, "Good for you for ha-. It tends to be like the older men, "Good for you for having kids." <laughs> <laughs> if I could have, I would have had ten more. <laughs> He's oh. like,
2: "Kids are the best." <laughs> <That's
1: sweet>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you know, you bring all three to the grocery store, and I just put the blinders up. I'm like, I don't like. That's another. That's a, that's how I also control my energy. Is I'm like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't need to. It's weird. I'm like it's only three kids, but people still like will look at you strangely. So I, mm-hmm. I'm really good at just, you know, staying focused and not, not giving anyone else my energy. <laughs> they mm-hmm. think I'm nuts for taking three kids to the store, which I try not to,
3: but I do once
1: in a I while. Mean, <laughs> you have to be a mom with three kids because they have
3: to, they have to take them there. There's <laughs> no other. Right. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, okay, so I did, I did want to go into, um, your son's health stuff. Yeah, sure. We were talking about um the difference in nutrition in your pregnancies and how you feel like that affected. um, Was it the pregnancy? And the birth, or is it just kind of leading into his, some skin issues? If you want to share about.
1: I would that. say it honestly just ties into everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, right. you know, and I can't say it didn't affect my pregnancies because I don't, I don't know how it would have been had I prepared myself differently.
3: Okay. If that okay. makes sense. So when did you start? eating, the how did that come about?
1: Okay. Yeah. So I, it was during my first pregnancy. Okay. Um, I was about three months pregnant and I was having food aversions more specifically to meat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just told my husband, I'm like, I just can't, I think he had made, so my husband's from Mexico he made a very typical like caldo de pollo like a chicken soup you know you cook the whole chicken in there and anyway I was just grossed out by it Mm. (laughs) and then I think maybe I tried to eat meat a few other times and this was early on right so it probably would have subsided or whatever but um I said, you know, I'm like, I just can't eat meat. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm like, I honestly, I don't think I can eat meat ever again. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna be a vegetarian. (laughs) Um, and so I was more or less vegetarian, like the second trimester and the last couple months, I was pretty like full on not eating any animal products. Um,
3: yeah. So, kind of an ideology at that point or was it just really based on what you did and didn't want to eat
1: at that point it was an ideology so my Mm -hmm. husband had started um I don't know how it found him but some vegan like Instagram accounts and social media and so he started sending me these things he's like you know what I just think we need to be vegan and and at that point Right. At that point I was like, I don't think I can be vegan. That's way too hard. Like I'll just be vegetarian. But then I started getting into it too. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. So those last couple of months, I was like not eating any animal foods at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and that continued on for four years. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was a total of four years that I was vegan. Um, Mm yeah, yeah. And, um, in, so let's see, so I had a fully vegan pregnancy with my second, my second was hundred percent. Um, and I was just so hungry all the time. Like in the last trimester, I was waking up at like 3 AM to get snacks and, um, Interestingly enough, after he was born, um, I had started listening, you know, listening to various podcasts that I listened to, and there was just this interesting theme coming through. The podcast had nothing to do with veganism at all, but these women that were being interviewed or women that were talking would reference, like, oh, and when I was a vegan or like things like that. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, okay, so there's like other people out there that were vegan that aren't anymore. And um, then I was just feeling awful. I think it it was two months. It was like exactly two months after he was born. I'm like, I cannot sustain like this anymore. Like I need something else. And I remembered that during my first pregnancy, a friend had given me a book And it was um, Nourishing Traditions Baby Child. Mm -hmm. So Sally Fallon's, anyway, in the garage. And of course, I completely disregarded the book because it's all just about animal-based foods, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, I am gonna grab that book because I still have the book in the garage. I grabbed the book, I read the thing cover to cover and I was like, we did everything wrong. We've been doing everything wrong for Because at that point, my mind was open enough to accept other information. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't totally in the vortex, I like to call it. Because it's like when you're in it, you just cannot see outside. And I was just uh, totally judgmental of other people who I'm like, how could anyone not do this? I mean, this is like the way to peace of the world. I mean, I was completely just...
2: What did yeah. you
3: think like your ancestors did in different cultures? Did you believe that there were vegetarian and vegan cultures in the past?
1: So once I read that, I mean, that wasn't really ever a consideration. Um, I didn't had, really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had gone to a talk with um, Michael Gerber one time. He's like a huge like plant-based doctor, like into the whole thing he came into town and did a uh, talk at a hospital talking about um, healing people. I think it was like more so with heart disease on plant-based diets. So um, he had talked a little bit about in some research of some like tribal communities that were more or less for the most part plant-based and ate meat more like ceremoniously or when it was available to them. So, I mean, I just didn't really give it much thought, but at that point, you know, after the baby was born, I started, and then reading that book, I started reflecting on that a lot. And I was like, it just doesn't make sense. I'm like, humans would not be on this earth if we weren't consuming animal products. Like we wouldn't be here as a species. Yeah. Um,
3: especially with how much health issues so easily show up. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, um, you know, it was really hard for me though, breaking out of that because I had like best friends who were vegan, like Mm -hmm. two really good friends. And then kind of a tertiary friend who was vegan. And I was like, how am I going to come out of this? And I thought, you know, I'm like, I'm going to lose my friends. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything um and when my son was my second one he was the only one that I'd ever really had these problems with um he had um he had baby acne pretty bad for a little while but then once he got a little bit older he'd have this like patch on his cheek that would like flare up and then you know I'd put stuff on it and it would go away and whatever um And I just didn't really like, I didn't think anything about, um, you know, it being like a huge issue at the time, but I knew that I was concerned for my kids, you know, after I had the information, I was like, I'm concerned about their dental development Mm -hmm. and especially my eldest, because we raised him like that for four years. Mm -hmm. So Um, so I started my baby on animal foods, you know, egg yolks and liver, um, you know, and I butter all the things and, um, started incorporating that animal foods, obviously for the whole family. And my husband, he was a little bit hesitant to change. Like at the beginning, he's like, I don't know. It actually helped a lot because his mother, after my baby was born, she was there, but then she left. And that's when I was like, I'm not going to be vegan anymore. And then she came back. And at that point, that's when I decided to order a box of meat from a local rancher. And it's like, they come once a month and you go pick up your, your meat from them, from the parking lot. They have like a freezer truck that they do deliveries once a month. Um, and I was supposed to go get the meat. Like my, my in-laws were here. So I was like, I have the support that I need. <laughs> you know, My in-laws were there and I'm like, I can't do it. And I was like crying. And then I like texted the, the rancher. I'm like, I don't feel well. I was like nauseous. I mean, it was like, I just, I had had like nightmares the night before about like baby cows being slaughtered. Yeah. So it was really hard. It was hard because I just, I didn't know anyone that had come out of this, you know? And, um, you know, it's like, yes, you have, I had omnivore friends who I talked to, but they didn't fully understand what I was going through, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, they, so nice of the rancher. They ended up dropping off the meat to the house. So I didn't have to feel like I was driving to the slaughterhouse. <laughs> To like butcher my own animal. <laughs> anyway, so, so I, yeah. So, my mother in law, she made us a meal with beef. Mm-hmm. And it was okay. You know, I was like fully accepting. And I knew that that's what I had to do. And I had to do it for the kids, mm-hmm. you know, 100%. Um, my son. The older one when his he had a tooth that was like slightly demineralized um and in the last couple of years so it's been like two and a half years now that we've been animal based and his teeth have like those baby teeth have like fully remineralized they look really white and they look really good um mm-hmm. they were a little bit discolored and just like didn't look that great you know um mm-hmm. And I was also concerned for him because he had dark circles under his eyes. So it was also, you know, it was me feeling like malnourished. And then I was like, I'm concerned about him too. And then that's what opened me up to, to, you know, reading the book and just having the light bulb go off. Mm-hmm. Um, so my little one fast forward. Um, This is last summer so he's about like a little over a year and a half and he you know I had mentioned to you about that patch he would get on his cheek that more or less went away after he was like one so like between 12 months and like 18 months there were no issues and then he had this like horrendous um severe eczema show up on the back of his knees and that persisted to then show up like in a milder form and his armpits and his elbow creases.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, you know, knowing myself and that like I have to figure everything out for myself, <laughs> I um, discovered um you know, started learning a little like more about functional health, integrative health and, um, found a a practitioner who does, um, bioenergetic scans. And so I had a scan run on him and, um, anyway, so he was on homeopathies and then also that she had prescribed. And then I also, you know, supplemented him with like cod liver oil and um utilize like lanolin on his skin mm-hmm. and tallow lanolin honestly when it's really severe that's pretty much the route you got to go um but he was at the point where he was i mean scraping his legs and then it would scab over and it was i mean i don't think i've felt so much anxiety about anything as i did that cuz you're constantly on like yeah I don't know heightened awareness like what are they doing oh my gosh he's scratching you know having him in the car seat and you know I had to make sure that he was wearing like organic cotton like leggings all the time because if his skin like touched anything like the car seat materials are synthetic it's like I you know I didn't want anything irritating him but also the heat you know, Mm -hmm. helps to flare the eczema up even worse. So it was so hard that summer. Um, He also, we were at the trampoline park and had a fracture. There was a big kid, like a teenager who double bounced him, like just came bolting through the area where we were and knocked over my son and my friend's son, who's about the same age. And my son ended up having a fractured leg from that. Yeah, which is not uncommon, you know. Um, I had heard from the orthopedic center, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, especially this kid was so big. He was probably like the size of an adult. Um, but I don't think it helped any that, you know, he didn't have the foundations of the mm-hmm. minerals that he needed. And after his birth, it really was just like all I was focusing on was like minerals, minerals, minerals for myself you know, for him and just trying to rebuild because he just, he's always been like my, I mean, body type also, like my kids are just long and lean, but I, I did also have like concerns about him being able to retain nutrients because of the amount of times a day that he would poop. I'm like, okay, he's 18 months old and he's pooping five times a day. Mm -hmm. Like it's too much. And it was like a lot of undigested food. So ultimately, you know, our children inherit our gut. So Mm -hmm. like the microbiome of our gut is what they inherit. And if you have, you're lacking the digestive enzymes, for example, right? Like meat, if I didn't eat meat for so long, so you're not eating it. You're, you pretty much stop producing that the digestive enzyme needed to digest the meat properly. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, also affecting stomach acid, uh, you know, he just was not set up for success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think finally at this point at three years old, it's be, you know, it's useful, but it literally took like three years. Um, so he suffered with the eczema for, um, about like nine months. He was on treatment. I did three different rounds of different homeopathies, um, that were prescribed by the, tra- the practitioner I worked with. And then, you know, minerals and cod liver oil, and then just focusing on diet that I did for him. And he finally healed. Mm, Yeah. I think the hard part is just that it takes a long time. You know, there was really in the first three months, there was not that he was on treatment. He didn't have any symptoms of his eczema improve, but his digestion improved. So he stopped pooping so much. So it was, then he was like down to like two times a day, like fully digested. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that I stuck with it because he, yeah, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't be at the place that he's in now had I not, you know, just stuck it out.
2: Mm-hmm. and
1: kept having him get retested. So, yeah. So now he's at the point and I didn't ever eliminate any foods. And the reason being is that I was concerned that if I, cause he loves meat and he loves dairy. And I thought, you know, a lot of practitioners will say, eliminate dairy, eliminate gluten. Um, I didn't do that because my concern was if I eliminate the things that he'll actually eat, like what kind of nutrition is he, is he going to have?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and like, he, yeah. he needed the calories big time,
2: mm-hmm. you know?
1: So yeah. So he's now, he's at a point where his skin still does get dry only behind his legs. It does get dry, but it's not eczema. I mean, he just kind of has a little bit of like flakiness that putting tallow on him pretty much takes care of it. So I think, you know, he'll grow out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, his gut was just not, he was not set up for, he wasn't set up for success and his teeth look really good. Like all of his baby teeth are white and you know, they, they look really good. Um, The next thing that I will say is these types of decisions, you know, based on your diet. Well, and whatever, it could be any, any, many other things too. Um, But it really, this is the one that I think it's like, you really got to consider the future because it can have irreversible consequences and that's where I'll, you know, let you know now what I've seen with my oldest, he, um, he just got in his six-year-old molars and he has enamel hypoplasia. So basically that's where the enamel organ in like certain parts of the teeth wasn't developed at all and causes for that can be, you know, it could be a genetic thing, my husband nor I have any genetics of this. We don't have anyone in our like family lines who've had this. Um, or it could be like a severe illness that the child experienced as like a baby or infant, um, which, you know, he never had any severe fevers. So what is the third cause is nutrient malabsorption, um, which would be fat soluble vitamins And, you know, if you don't, if you're not consuming the fat, which vegan diet has, you know, you can say all you want about that. You're consuming coconut oil and avocados to try to get saturated fats, but how much of that can you really do? You know, no, it's not sufficient. And, um, yeah, so he has two, molars that have the hypoplasia. And at this point, you know, these are adult teeth. So there's no like reversing this. There's no like remineralizing this, like if the enamel's not formed, basically you're at a point where you can manage like, you know, to try to prevent decay, but the tooth is, um, just more susceptible to that. And it's really, heartbreaking um because he's you know these are brand new teeth and they're sensitive Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah so um Mm -hmm. you know at this point we're yeah i mean he's he's been to the dentist we're not doing anything at this point to like seal the tooth or anything like that wasn't recommended at this point you know she said you just gotta really keep an eye on him and make sure that you're you're brushing them and try, you know, try to prevent that decay. And, you know, we use the hydroxyapatite toothpaste. Um, but yeah, it's like, when I saw those teeth, I, (laughs) I pretty much lost it. You know, at first I was like, how can these teeth come in with tartar on them already?
2: Mm -hmm. And then I knew I was like, this is not tartar. Like this is, yeah. So That's,
1: and I, I, there are so many people out there who follow a vegan diet or, you know, or you want to say lifestyle, whatever that is. But you also have to consider the fact that there is like a generational degradation that can happen. So for me, my maternal grandmother. She was a farmer, like a daughter of a farmer. <clears throat> she had a very round face mm-hmm. and my mom had like an even thinner face than I do. And so I'm sure, you know, after world war two, when all the industrialized food became the thing, that's probably a lot of what she ate when she was pregnant with my mom. And that's, you know, like the job facial development has a lot to do with nutrition. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I would just say instinctively, she probably ate that way when she was pregnant with my mom and didn't have enough vitamin absorption or mineral absorption. And that's why my mom had a very narrow face. And I was raised on the nineties, like fat-free diet, you know, low fat, everything um so i don't have like big thick teeth and had maybe my mom been raised on like a traditional like european diet of eating butter and lots of milk and meat you know she probably like i may look different than i do now you know and so i think <clears throat> and my like ability to absorb minerals and and vitamins may be different. And I, you know, my child may not have been affected, but I think that degradation and then what I did during my pregnancy and then my child growing up definitely, you know, had an impact. And I think that that's something that people need to recognize, you know, if they're fine on a vegan diet, or they say they're, they're thriving, but maybe that's because their parent ate really well. And
2: right.
1: You know, so when people talk about that their children is their child's thriving or doing really well, I mean, what does your lineage look like? That has a lot to do with it too.
3: Yeah, that's really important to speak to. Um, yeah, it's like they're just they haven't seen the effects yet,
2: right? The
3: science is so it's like so clear what it's missing so many things it's just I don't feel like I need to tiptoe around that truth I mean it's it's so clear what is a superior way to eat for along the childbearing continuum versus Mm -hmm. what is something that is gonna severely deplete you in all of your stores. and it's it's interesting to see how it shows up. Um, yeah, for children. and I think even, you know, I was a vegetarian for many years when I was from twelve to twenty five or so. Um, and then I stopped, but my daughter's teeth are, you know, i I ate meat occasionally. Um, after that but yeah her teeth are yellowed they just don't have that all of the enamel that that she deserves Um, and so it's just it's something that we have to really work through because the soils are depleted Um, I don't think it's enough now to just I think what I did maybe I would have meat once a day or a few times a week. It just wasn't enough. It needs there needs to be a concerted effort now after these generations mm-hmm. of depletion to actually remineralize and bring back the nose to tail type of eating, um, which is hard for a lot of us because the vegetarian programming is so deep. That for me, I I just have a kind of a reaction to that food. Like I don't want. I prefer to just eat vegetarian most of the time, but I know what's actually better for me and my children. And um, yeah, I just, I'm glad you're speaking to this because it's it's so important and we have to know how it can show up and think beyond just us and our, even our desires for how we want to eat and just see things clearly.
1: I've actually went like a full 180. And, you know, I was raised on the like fat free diet. And then even like preconception, I more or less was eating poultry and fish and we would eat red meat maybe once a week because of the negative stigma of that. Right. And now it's, I eat like either meat, fish or poultry at every single meal, mm-hmm. or I just don't feel, I don't feel right. Yeah. And, and really what makes me feel really good is like a hearty like stew with vegetables and meat or like a like a chicken soup you know i cook with like whole whole chickens like get all the bones make my own bone broth and so i just i think that that's honestly like i had heard that your the mitochondria comes from the mother line mm-hmm. so you tend to have more um, preferences to what you eat based on like your maternal lineage mm-hmm. and my maternal lineage is Eastern European and I'm, like I just feel great when I have like a hearty like broth with meat and veggies in there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah me too that's that's probably my favorite way to eat meat is mm-hmm. in a stew where it's really soft and and juicy and cooked through and um, that would be my favorite as well. I think I have, I have a good amount of Eastern European in me as
2: well. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. So that's, yeah, I just, I just think it like, I'm super passionate about this and I do talk to a lot of people about this. I've just been a little more hesitant to broaching the topic so much. Cause I still do have, I have I lost a friend when I, um, you know how I mentioned in my story when I said I was like afraid of telling people, but I I did tell my friends, and actually one of them pretty much stopped talking to me for a year, and she came back to me last year and apologized um, about the whole thing. So, and she's actually a meat eater now too because she started having health problems, but I myself had a lot of issues too. My skin was a wreck. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had like um acne really bad. I remember when I got pregnant with my second son. Oh my gosh, just like so much acne all over my like shoulder back and shoulders and forehead. And since I switched to animal base, like I, I mean, maybe like I'll have one or two pimples in a whole year. Like my skin looks so much better. Um and my hair, my hair did not fall out after. I had a little shedding after my last two kids, but after the first one, when I like went full vegan, I lost so much hair. I swear, I lost a third of my hair afterwards mm-hmm. um, in the postpartum hair loss, and it was not just due to being postpartum for sure. That makes
3: sense. Yeah. Yeah. Related to your
2: mineral
1: status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just my world view. I think um I'm much more accepting of people now. <laughs> I was very unaccepting. And it's, you know, I still, of course, like to find like-minded friends. Um, but I feel like my view of the world was pretty negative. And there's there's
3: something about just being Before. nourished and happy yeah. that changes your right.
1: attitude as well. It's just, that was one of the first things I noticed is like feeling grounded. I'm like, I stopped feeling anxious. Like you feel like you're just buzzing. Well, that's how he was, you know, just like buzzing. And then now it, it's just like, I don't want to know what kind of parent I would be like, had I not made this change
2: and the probably children, would,
1: yeah probably would be a lot more reactive and the kids yeah oh totally you know mm-hmm. with you notice melting that? down so oh, you've
3: noticed that in, in that kind of way in their emotions that they've become more
1: um, yeah off. my uh, my eldest he like we noticed right away like dark circles eliminated because he was like about four when we made the change he dark circles were gone and he, his like meltdowns were far less severe, and he wasn't like every morning he used to just be so grumpy. Mm-hmm. I think just from being hungry, you know, overnight. Um, yeah, just that like blood sugar dysregulation probably. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and a, and then a one of the really wild things during after the births was so my first two my first one so I, you know he got all like my mineral stores and he um, he had a little bit of vernix when he came out my second one like my fully vegan pregnancy he had no vernix at all so nothing protect, you know, none of the skin protected. And then my last baby. So I ate, you know, animal-based meals three times a day. And then I would have something like a dairy fat before bed. So I'd have either ice cream or I'd have yogurt with honey and fruit or cottage cheese. And, um, she, when she came out, she was coated In vernix. There were blobs of it in the amniotics. That's so cool. Yeah. I was almost like gonna tell my husband, but he had already like cleaned everything up. I'm like, put the vernix in a jar so we can smear it on Atreus's legs.
2: Like the
1: breast milk. (laughs) Yeah, because there were just chunks of it. It was wild. Yeah, she had a lot. Yeah, she I mean, she looks really good. I don't think she's gonna have these types of family yeah she won't have the gut issues but yeah Mm -hmm. that the other two had dealt with so Uh,
3: yeah that's so important that's just this additional weight and honor that we carry as mothers how like this is the other piece that we have to take so seriously Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah preparing our bodies and, and feeding them well just like all the other things we do to take care of them
1: yeah you know i wish i had known i didn't even know that was a thing like preparing yourself for conception
2: of course
1: till it was too late no, i think yeah
3: they pretty much just tell women just take a prenatal vitamin need. your mm-hmm. doctor yeah yeah for sure so i hope you will Gather together your knowledge at some point and and share it. It's very needed.
1: Yeah, I will. I just need to figure out where I where am I going to start. A lot. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's like I feel like I have like a whole. I don't know. Yeah, it's (laughs) too much information. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I I guess I could hone in on like what am I currently feeding my baby? You know yeah That's a big one. Mm-hmm. That's
3: a big one. yeah and then you have to
1: there's so much to
3: feeding babies and children and then they have their own preferences and-
1: yeah my um you know baby led weaning is such a thing but after third child I'm totally like you know what if that kid is, baby is hungry you'll feed the baby
2: Mm -hmm. you know
1: and so I've done things totally different this time um but she also was much more interested in food and I think that was in like definitely I mean obviously instinctive she's a baby right but because of me and my depletion I tried to do as much as I could during the pregnancy of supplementing minerals eating really well eating a lot Um, but you know, there's only so much you can do if you haven't been preparing years and years in advance. Um, so she wanted to eat at four months. Well, four months, she was like, you know, trying to get the food, but she wasn't into ingesting it. So I was like, okay, we'll wait until she can actually like swallow it. So then I tried like a couple of weeks later when she turned five months and right then it was like three meals a day. She started eating three meals a day right off the bat. Yeah.
2: So crazy.
3: Yeah. Child.
1: So different.
2: Mm -hmm. And you
3: you attribute that to. Like she just had more of a hunger because she was probably
1: maybe. Yeah, I think so. And then also like I still am breastfeeding my three-year-old. And so it's like taken a lot out of me. Yeah. And she probably is like, okay, I'd rather go for see the more. food. Mama's depleted at
3: this point. Right.
1: <laughs> so she, yeah. So I was totally like, you know, this whole programming of baby led weaning, you know, and see the child's like, they have to do it themselves. And it's like, that's not right for everybody. I don't think they from what I remember, they can't really even pick
3: it up and start eating until like eight months or something. Um, yeah,
1: she's, she's doing that now at seven months. She's able to pick up and put in her mouth, but she's kind of doing everything earlier. Like she started sitting up at five months, crawling at six, feeding herself at seven, but she's, um, you know, I was making purees. So I just kind of do like food combos, like, um, you know, like root vegetables or squashes and um bone broth a little butter maybe some applesauce and just like mix it all together like throw an egg yolk in there Mm -hmm. and then yeah that's like how I feed her so it's yeah she likes to eat like she's not happy if she she has to have her three meals
3: (laughs) that's unique I like she she knows yeah you're you're continuing to follow your instincts and letting her you know yeah feeding her when she's hungry i think that's that should be the essence of baby life meaning and and just like mm-hmm. any approach to feeding our children just, they seem hungry let's just offer them some food
1: yeah yeah there's just people are just so um like obsessed about rather than following the cues like following the advice and even if the advice is holistic advice you know supposedly like feed your baby at six months you know that's like the holistic way to do it but that's not yeah it doesn't work for everybody so Hmm. well thank
3: you for sharing all this information I know that um a lot of women right now are really changing and shifting in how they view what to eat. Um, and so more stories like this are so important um, because it's how we learn. And I can't even imagine who I would be without other women's stories and the internet and all the podcasts that I've listened to that have shown me what's possible and you know ways to birth and ways to
1: live
2: and raise my children. So.
3: Thank you for sharing your beautiful, yeah, birth. of course.
1: I'm so glad that you opened <clears throat> that up because i've I felt like I need to share it. Yeah,
3: we do. Yeah, we need to share stories, mm-hmm. especially when they are positive and happy and joyful and instinctive because we are losing the old ways and um, we have to preserve.
2: Uh,
1: instinctual birth for the future of our children Mm -hmm. my my oldest son has no concept of what that is like why do people not have their babies (laughs) he he saw a picture of like one of his cousins and he's like where are they is that a hospital and I'm like yeah I was like most people have their babies in the hospital he's like why (laughs) so I'm like he's got it hopefully good he will
3: yeah let's hopefully he'll carry it on
2: right
3: partners and inspire them if they're not already
2: there
3: you mm-hmm. have a daughter you can support her so yeah right uh, thank you again so much Corey
1: okay thank you Bethany appreciate it